0: So I'm Danielle Jenkins, and I am 41, and I live in Tacoma, Washington, and I have known Marie Balance, who is uh, my story partner for a very long time, over <laughs> 20 years. I think it's probably
1: been close to 25 years. Has it been longer? long I was trying to figure out if we met right before or right after Benjamin was born, because he turned 26 this year. It was, yes, yeah, somewhere right around there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so somewhere around 26 years. Ah, all right, and um, I'm Marie Balance. I'm 39. I live in Salem, Oregon. Thank you so much oh, for okay. doing this with me. It's My pleasure. You look lovely today, by the way. So it's nice to actually see you as we talk on the phone. (laughs) I know. Uh, All right. So my first question for you is, uh, when did you first know that you wanted to become a mother?
0: I can't remember not wanting to be a mom. Um, I know I have a niece who's very much like I was um, since she was a, a little baby before she could even walk. She was carrying around dolls and um, being a mom to them, you know, covering them up with with towels like baby blankets. And I was like that.
1: Um, I always wanted to play the mom. You decided as an adult that you were going to pursue becoming a single mom.
0: I had a series of serious relationships that uh, ended before, um, you know, building a family together um and so I got to a certain age where I realized if I didn't do it by myself it probably wasn't going to (laughs) happen um Mm -hmm. and so um and and also I have a doctorate I'm actually a perinatal psychologist so um (laughs) I did a lot of schooling and career building before family building so um I got to a point where I needed to decide to um to do that or or it wasn't gonna happen you know I was gonna run out of time and I figured you know I could I could become a partner at any time but I couldn't there would be a time where it wouldn't I wouldn't be able to become a biological parent um past a certain point so (laughs) there, there does come a point where you run out of time and so Um, I, I never was afraid of the idea of doing it on my own. I, I know, uh, many moms who've done a great job of, of single parenting. And so I, I wasn't frightened of that idea. I know some people are, and, um, and I, I felt positive about that choice. And so, um,
1: when the time came, I decided that that was a good choice for me, so you mentioned you felt very positive about that choice, but I also know that we grew up in a very um, conservative culture, the two of us. So what was the reaction that you received personally when you let people know you were going to be a single mom? This was a conscious choice on your part.
0: Um, I think because some of the people I know who were single parents um, I didn't necessarily choose that. It's, it's, happened to them. um, And it was, uh, it was more of a deficit uh, experience for them. Uh, There were definitely strong reactions to that choice. Um, (laughs) so so definitely um, ruffled some feathers, I think. Um, There were people who did not like that choice. If, if I had to put, (laughs) I don't, I don't think they would say that. But I think that was that's what I felt by their reactions, um, and so the idea of um, my becoming a single parent by choice um, was not one that I think was met necessarily with
1: um, positive feelings by some people. Did that impact any of your decisions moving forward? I'm sure on some levels it did,
0: (laughs) but I still, I still, um, did it. I think it, um, impacted how much I shared with people about my choices. And, um, normally I'm a pretty open person about what I share with the people who are close to me. Um, but, um, I think when you feel, um, from people that maybe they don't uh, like what you're doing (laughs) with your life. It makes it harder to share
1: openly about your choices. For sure. So you've told me in the past um, that it was very important for you to have a biological child. You wanted really to try that. And then you mentioned earlier just today um, that you made a calculation because you realized you know there's a certain amount of time that you can have a biological child and start that process and um, so why was it really important to you to pursue having a biological child
0: um i have a very blended family and that's been a really positive experience um i feel very lucky that it has been a positive experience so it's not the case for everyone um being a psychologist i know it's not a positive experience <laughs> for a lot of people so I, I never felt um, concerned about if I became a parent in another way through adoption or being a step-parent or um, through fostering. I never felt concerned that I would have a hard time bonding with children who weren't biologically mine. Um, but um, I knew that through my work that um, pregnancy um, and uh, carrying a child from my body were important to me if if possible I um I didn't know if um if it would be possible um but I wanted to try if I could um there are some pieces of I think the heroine's journey (laughs) um (laughs) that I think come from you know growing a baby and breastfeeding and you know um you know pregnancy delivery postpartum that um are impactful um we grow up hearing about these things certainly through my work um as a perinatal psychologist um I start you know something I've been passionate about my whole life um uh so so I really wanted to do that if I could um So, so it's not necessarily the biology that's the most important piece. I also grew up with um, one parent who wasn't my biological parent. um, And I have, you know, I don't have any full biological siblings. um, So that certainly impacted my choice uh, to pursue having a biological child if I could. Um, I think I would would and will be happy if I become a mother through other means. Um, I, I don't think that it would be a lesser form of parenthood in any way. Um, I think that um, you become a parent however you become a parent. And um, I think it's a rich experience no matter how it
1: happens. Um, yeah. Very true. you mentioned a few moments ago that um, you said if it was possible for you to have a biological child. So was there some doubt in your mind when you started on this journey that it would be challenging to have a <laughs> biological children child? Yeah.
0: Well, I don't. Ha- I haven't had a partner, so um, I always knew that it wouldn't be just as easy as doing the baby tango and out pups a baby nine months later. <laughs> so I knew that procuring. Um, sperm would be a part of the part of the thing, whether it was purchasing or um, begging or borrowing or making a deal. <laughs> Some sort sort would be part of the um, <laughs> the uh, situation, um, and then um, you know I was getting older. I I was thirty six when I started the process, um, and It has not been a straight road,
1: (laughs) Um, and there's been many bumps along the way. So, Well, can you tell me a little bit about that process and how you got to where you found yourself in COVID times? (laughs) Yeah,
0: so um, there have been a lot of different ways that I have pursued um, pregnancy, Um, so I um, went the route of um, pursuing pregnancy through um, at home insemination I'm using uh, information from some choice mom groups. Um, so uh, <laughs> thanks to uh, many LGBTQ um, sites, there's lots of great information out there on how to how to do it yourself. <laughs> um, get pregnant at home. Um, and I actually had two chemical pregnancies from that um experience. I have some pretty funny stories about chasing sperm through snowstorms. Um, they're funny to me now, they were not funny at the time. Um, I, you know, it's costly and um and you know, a little heartbreaking. Um and, you know, disappointing. Uh and um, you know, I'm not the only person who has that <laughs> not work out um, uh, and um, definitely um, was part of you know this long, windy journey. Um, and you know it's definitely one of those things that until you like look through um pages of pages of of donors you don't really know what that's like um it's it's not unlike um shopping for dates online (laughs) and you know people who you know need donors for assisted reproduction even with partners talk about similar feelings um it's uh, certainly a, a weird a weird experience, um, but also really amazing that it's a possibility. Um, and so after that situation, you know, I, I went to a fertility clinic um, and found out that everything checked out fine um, other than um, my age and um, being a person who lives in a larger body, which can sometimes affect fertility um things looked good um but unfortunately that endeavor also ended in a chemical pregnancy and um I got mono (laughs) at 39 years old um and that affected um my fertility path as well um and delayed things further which brings us up to just before COVID times um I had a really bad experience with the fertility clinic that I used. Um while it's um world renowned <laughs> in my area, um I did not find it to be particularly friendly to people who are single mothers by choice. Um it also I mean in fact I would say quite discriminatory. Um and you know since I'm in the field and work with people who go to that clinic. I also found it to be, um, you know, just hearing things about not really being very LGBTQ friendly, which while I'm not necessarily in that group, I'm certainly an ally. And so I just didn't feel like I could continue to support um, that clinic. And I, I felt it was pretty traumatizing to go there and to be treated as a number and to be treated like um, I needed to um, justify my choice to want to be a single mother. Um, Whereas if I, you know, was going to, you know, going about that um, in a different way, I could um, I could just do it. Um, I, But because I was using a clinic, um, I had to go through a series of psychological examinations, um, which didn't feel right to me. Um, and so, especially since I'm a psychologist, and I provide those evaluations. Uh, so, um, you know, it just didn't seem right. So I thought about I, I thought to go about it a different way. And I um, enlisted the help of a friend um, um, and he happens to be Canadian. Um, and so we were all set to um, to start um, getting pregnant. Um, though I think... I'm trying to remember the exact timing. So his first flight was scheduled to come in on March 20th, I think, of 2020. And the Canadian border closed on, or no, his flight was set to come in on the 21st. And the Canadian border closed on March 20th. So that really was a blow, which I certainly was not the only one who had their family building plans affected by COVID. I know many people who had IVF stopped, who had, um, you know, mid-cycle thousands of dollars of medications just down the toilet, um, you know, big things like that that were you know, just hopes and dreams crushed. Um, So, but, you know, I'd waited a long time at that point and I was already 40, which, you know, of course, at that point, you know, everyone tells you there's no chance, you know, there's very little chance of anything working. Um, And, um. But we actually managed to meet um, here in Washington four times in 2020, and I had one chemical pregnancy, uh, we think, it uh, wasn't confirmed, but I'm pretty sure it was. Um, um, and, um, and we figured out that I had low progesterone and that's probably why it's pretty normal for people over 35 to have even slightly low progesterone, which can impact, um, your ability to sustain a pregnancy or to even get pregnant, um, uh, especially over about 37, um, and so that could be why I was having the chemical pregnancies, um, It wasn't showing up correctly on some of the uh, testing. Um, But um, we figured out if I took progesterone um, that that might help. Um, And sure enough, the first time I took progesterone, I got pregnant. Um, and So that was in October of um, 2020. And that was good because the border restrictions got even more um, strict. Um, and so my friend wasn't able to come anymore. Um, and so um, we felt very relieved that I had gotten pregnant at that time. We actually didn't think it was gonna be possible because we were a little bit off on our timing. But um, it worked, um, and so we were pretty excited. Um, But unfortunately, at seven weeks, I um, went in for my first ultrasound and found out that I was in the middle of miscarrying, so I lost the pregnancy. I'm
1: really sorry. (sighs) So when you first realized you were pregnant how did how did you feel what did you what did you realize like how did you know that this time had worked (laughs) well um i
0: have um a very regular body (laughs) Um, so um, but, you know, with taking medication, sometimes those things get thrown off. So I um, I took a pregnancy test. And um, I was very confused because it said I wasn't pregnant. Um, but I didn't get my period. So I was very confused. Um, told my friend... Well, you know, I don't think it worked. The pregnancy test is negative, but I didn't get my period. So I don't really know what to think. And then I actually had a dream the next day that I was pregnant. Um, And it was kind of a silly dream. I dreamed that I was flying. And the woman next to me... um, (laughs) took a look at my baked beans. I had been watching a lot of uh, Great British baking show. Um, <laughs> so of course she looked at my baked beans um, and she she read them. She read the energy of the baked beans and said that I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so I woke up and I was like, well, maybe this test was wrong. <laughs> um, and so I kept taking tests, which by that point, I was so tired of peeing on things. Because, you know, when you're trying to get pregnant, you have to pee on a whole bunch of sticks to see when you're <laughs> ovulating. And if you're pregnant, And I've been peeing on sticks for like five years. <laughs> um, and I'm so tired of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so the, the the dream told me I was pregnant. And so then I was like, well, maybe I am. I mean... the only times I've ever been late were when I had chemical pregnancies. So who knows? We'll see. And so I got, you know, I got the blood test and um, then I just kept peeing on sticks uh, until one of them finally came back and said I was pregnant. Um, And so I was pretty excited. Um, But uh, pretty pretty soon I knew something wasn't right I um, was very very sick right away um, I think I probably would have ended up with hyper graviderum. gravidarum um, I, I just was very very sick right away um, and um, there just really wasn't a lot that they could do for me <laughs> um about anything um so um my body doesn't really react very well to progesterone um so um that's sort of where we're at (laughs) um with that um it doesn't it doesn't like it so I just uh get very sick with it so I get it get very sick when it's when I supplement with it and I get very sick when
1: I'm pregnant so it's hard so you went in for your ultrasound um and you already knew that something was not right because you were really sick
0: I was really sick and I started having dreams that I was miscarrying
1: um Mm -hmm.
0: My body and my mind tend to tell me things ahead of time.
1: Yeah, we've talked a lot um, over the years about like trauma informed care and the uh, challenges in our current healthcare system. And so, when you had your appointment, um, what was what was that experience like? Did you get the care that you needed? Were you did you feel cared for or how was this really sad and traumatic experience for you? Well, um, you know, it was during um,
0: one of the higher, um, the higher volume times of COVID. This was in the beginning of December, so right after Thanksgiving. I was fortunate in a way that I was at a clinic that allowed a person to come to an ultrasound, but the person that I had invited actually hadn't been socially distancing properly. So I asked them not to come. Um, So I went to the ultrasound alone. (laughs) Um, And I I was hopeful that the ultrasound would show a heartbeat and that things would be fine today also. Had a feeling that maybe it wasn't going to be okay. Um, so I had an ultrasound scheduled and then an appointment scheduled with the doctor to establish care, even though I had been talking with a midwife that I knew in the community. But I knew that I was going to be high risk because of my age and because I have a connective tissue disorder, which can complicate pregnancy. Um, And so um, the ultrasound tech who's very experienced with, uh, has been working in the field for a long time and is apparently at this clinic allowed to give information, um, told me that um, there was not a viable pregnancy um, and then sent me back out into the lobby into the waiting area um, to wait for the doctor to tell me what was next. Um, And, um, you know, she said this would be confirmed by the doctor. um, And that, you know, maybe there was, maybe it was the dating was, the dating information was incorrect or, um, you know, you know that she couldn't confirm or deny you know what what was going on but because I don't live with my partner um there's no way that the dates were wrong so um I couldn't have been less pregnant than than what I mean what I thought so um either there was something there or there wasn't um And, um, there should have been a heartbeat if it was going to be a viable pregnancy. Um, and so I had to go back into a lobby full of visibly pregnant women, um, having just been told that I was miscarrying instead of being allowed to sit somewhere else, even in the bathroom would have been better. And I... I knew this happened to women because I've sat with women in my office who this has happened to. I've had friends that this has happened to. Um, But it's just not right. You know, I don't want to, I didn't want to take away from the families who are sitting, talking about their plans for their babies. I don't want them to be afraid that they're going to go back and receive bad news, you know. So I just kept sitting there saying, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Praying that they would hurry up and bring me back so that I could finish having the worst day of my life. Meanwhile, I'm texting my clients, trying to figure out how much time I could take off.
1: Because I'm self-employed. And it's
0: COVID, so and it's the holidays, and I'm a psychologist. So this is between Thanksgiving and Christmas,
1: and there's a pandemic. There aren't enough people who do what I do.
0: And so, if I don't hold it together, what are these people going to do? And the first appointment was okay. The doctor was kind of a nightmare, but his assistant that day was okay. But the second appointment, when I had been hemorrhaging for three weeks, basically, and had to be checked because I was trying to stay out of the ER. Um... The doctor, I had seen the doctor walking around his office without a mask, talking to his staff, and I got really upset, so my blood pressure was through the roof. And I'm trying not to get complications that women can get who have been pregnant and then get high blood pressure. Meanwhile, I had been given very little instruction about even what was going to happen to my body with a miscarriage, which is super common, unfortunately. I knew this was true, but also when it happens to you, it's just unbelievable that they basically tell you nothing. Um, basically just, if you think it's too bad, go to the hospital and then when you go to the hospital they shame you for going to the hospital um there's a pandemic so you don't really want to go to the hospital um and i'm a person who's high risk because i'm overweight and i have an autoimmune disorder so i'm trying to stay out of the hospital um so i went to this clinic with this doctor who was kind of difficult to deal with um and I explained to the medical assistant that I was upset by seeing the doctor without the mask on so then she apparently told him and then um uh he was not very nice to me but she was also not very kind to me um when I was upset, I cried, which crying into a mask is really disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never happened. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like this is the worst, it's the worst, most gross thing in the world. And so I reached for a Kleenex, oh, and I grabbed one, and she grabbed a Kleenex box and stuffed it into a drawer. And I was like, "Oh, I guess we don't cry here." <laughs> like. And I just, I remember having this thought, like, oh, that's right, like, women's health care, like, we just, we just aren't, they're just not trauma-informed, like, and like I remember having, like, sort of going in and out of this feeling of, like, but I'm the patient, like, I get to, I get to need care here, like, I don't, I don't have to be the psychologist here, like, I, I don't have to, like, have the, like, understanding how like I get to be upset here like I get to be hurting my baby died like this is what I have wanted for my whole life for 41 years this is all I've ever wanted was to be a mom like I was born to be a mother and my dream just ended and nobody cares and nobody cares When that appointment was over, the doctor looked at me and patted my arm super awkwardly and said, in this weird condescending way, I'm so sorry this is so hard for you. And if it was me today, I would say, I'm not really sure why you just said that, because this should be hard for everyone. And yes, everyone processes miscarriage and loss differently. But I would be worried for people who don't have some kind of feelings about this. And sometimes it can feel like, yeah, okay. We, you know, it just didn't work out. And we're going to try again, but that's not my story. I don't have a partner on the other side of the bed that I can just keep trying with. It took me five years to get that positive. And the person that I want to do this with is on the other side of a closed border.
1: And I'm 41,
0: I may not get to do this again. So yeah, it's really hard. And I get to grieve this.
1: This is really hard. How has I know this would be hard even without COVID times It would be tragic and sad losing the baby, but how has living in the pandemic and losing the baby in the pandemic impacted your grieving process and your ability to live with what happens after?
0: Um, it's definitely made it way harder because People are really bad (laughs) with grief anyway. Um, But it's definitely complicated things because people are so maxed out. Most of my friends are moms. And so they are working like double and triple shifts essentially. Like they have been, you know, like mostly all homeschooling or like at least managing their kids at home, um, you know. Supervising the zoom schooling of their kids, many of them are also working. Um, you know, some of them are also caring for aging parents. Um, I I know I see it with like my awesome friends from book club. Like when they see me, they're like, "Oh shit, we forgot, we forgot," um, and. Um, I, I've been forgotten and I know that's true from my, um, my clients experiences too and my friends who've had miscarriages during the pandemic, um, losses, people whose, whose parents have died during the pandemic, you know, grandparents who've died during the pandemic, um, We're all just really, I think, maxed out. But then there's this element of, we haven't seen people that we normally see. We're not going to the grocery stores as much. We're not doing the things we normally do in the ways we normally do them. And there's all these extra steps and all this extra fatigue. And so I'm trying to have grace, but I'm also really, really hurt. Um... I also um, just now got set up with a therapist, so this happened, like, the day that I found out I was miscarrying, I knew it was happening before, but, um, but the day of the ultrasound was December 5th, and so... Historically, as an adult, I've been in therapy um, for most of my adult life, especially because I've been a therapist. And so there's often things I just need to download just because of the things I hear. But also I've had a complex life. (laughs) Um, And so um, I've needed to be in therapy and I've wanted to be in therapy. But my beloved therapist, my long-term therapist, (laughs) closer practice, about two years ago um and so I tried a couple of therapists that just didn't really get the perinatal piece and so I took a break uh December 2019 (laughs) Which, <laughs> <hindsight>, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, then I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I can do other forms of self-care. I can make sure I get massages and do some coaching and work on my business and goal setting and, you know, do some other things for myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know there was going to be a pandemic. <laughs> I didn't know that I was going to be supporting people going through a pandemic while I was also going through a pandemic and while I was holding up like my business from shattering while I was holding up other people going through the same trauma I was going through while I was navigating a border closure and um like the crushing of my dream and then a miscarriage, and all of that. Um, And then watching as, like, the people that I count on the most could not support me the way I needed them. All without a therapist. So that has been really hard. I finally have one lined up. I hope it's good fit because it's been hard to find one. I have just Mm -hmm. been like searching and searching and searching and searching um and i get it i've been full
1: for the whole year so yeah it's really hard so with your experiences i know you've thought about this a lot but in what ways do you think the medical community needs to improve care for expectant or grieving mothers I know it's a really big question. You can like just focus on one part if you want. It is a big
0: question, and people have asked me this a lot. Um, well, first of all, I think providers need to be trauma informed, and that's a that's a big job. It's a big task, but I think it's I think it's an essential one. Um, I think remembering that, like we hear this stuff all day what might be routine for you is not routine for someone else right like for the person experiencing it and also to believe the person whose body is experiencing it i have friends and clients who've been literally told that what they were experiencing they weren't experiencing um so maybe that they weren't having a miscarriage or even though they literally had it, it happened to them, they knew what they experienced um, to have their symptoms questioned. Um, and while providers have a wealth of knowledge, I understand that I went to school for a very long time to do what I do. And yet I think the person experiencing the disorder, the illness, the loss, um, is, is the expert on their own experience and their body. And many, many of us, right, of providers have had the experience of, oh, until it happened to me, I didn't really get it. Even though we like have this, like we have this brain knowledge um, and so sometimes we need to pause and just take a minute, and we, we aren't afforded that because of the system that we have. And so I have compassion for providers, um, and I also have compassion for for the people using the services as well. Um, and so um, I think sometimes we just have to, like, take a beat. Yeah, I
1: think that's a... Very good advice. So with that, how do you wish you had been supported? Um, I wish that I had
0: been given information. I think often patients are shamed for Googling things, for looking things up on the Internet, but I was given no paperwork I was told that the worst thing I could imagine was happening to me. And so literally nothing that was told after that really stuck. The little tiny bit of information that I was given was not enough. And so then I had to look it up. And then when I sought out reassurance, I was shamed for asking questions. Um, I was treated very poorly by the medical community. I also think that I am often, I'm often treated as someone who doesn't um, care about my health because I'm a larger bodied person. Um, And yet I'm a person who takes very good care of my health. I'm a larger bodied person for a variety of reasons, but none of them are that I don't take care of my health. Um, They're for a variety of reasons that have nothing to do with how I take care of my health. I'm one of the healthier living people that I know, like I exercise, I go to the gym more than most people I know, I eat healthy, I don't eat sugar, um, you know, uh, but people make a lot of assumptions because of the way I look, and, and I think that um, that certainly played a role in how I was treated um, with my Pregnancy loss and then subsequent care when I sought um, advice for how to move forward Um, and it certainly was part of my entire fertility treatment. Um, And I've I've experienced that with my clients as well that they're treated as if they don't care about their babies. Um, And that adds to the grief because then they're blamed for things. Um, and, and this didn't happen to me, but it's happened to my clients where women are told things about their pregnancy losses, about it being their fault, about things like that, um, because of, of their bodies or about, um, things that don't necessarily bear out in research, um, or not in the way that we think when we really look at the numbers. Um, and so that would be something that I that I wish could change um, and that I hope will change for um, for the future and that I hope providers will consider. All right,
1: so my last question for you is. Um, Why did you want to share your story? I wanted to share my
0: story because um, one of the things that was so helpful for me in the immediate days following my loss or even during the time while I was losing um, the baby was that it was so helpful for me, the people that reached out and said, Um, it happened to me too Um, or this is what I did or this is how I took care of myself or um, I know you know that I had a loss but this is what, you know, this was more of my story Um, the people who um, you know, just told me you know a little bit of their story so I didn't feel so alone um,
1: and that was really meaningful for me yeah, I think it's important well thank you for sharing your story with me I really appreciate it and I am sorry for the loss of the baby I really am I know so. Thank you so much for doing this with me.
0: It means so much to me, and it's really meant so much to me that you've walked through this with me.
1: Yeah, you know I love you very much. I love you, too.